friends. Welcome to the Neighbors Church Podcast. Alexis here along with my very good-looking husband, Dan. Oh, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so happy to be with you guys today for another conversation. It's hard to believe that it's already the end of May. I feel like 2021 is going at a fast pace. Yeah, and by the time this thing posts, it's going to be mid-June or early June, yeah? No, it's the end of May. Folks, oh. at the end of May. Oh. <laughs> you know, in podcast world, when you record early, you get your timelines all messed up. We're somewhere in the universe at this point, and it's hard to believe how fast the universe is moving away from us. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, no, today we actually want to talk with you guys um, and just have a little conversation around the idea of contentment. Dan and I have been rolling around this idea. Um, obviously, it's not new to any of us, but... Like 20 years now? <laughs> learning to be content in whatever situation we're in. Um, in the Gospels, um, Jesus speaks in parables. He shares these little stories to teach and instruct his disciples. And in a couple of the parables, he gives this um, little story of this man who discovers this hidden treasure in a field. And the man is utterly thrilled and excited um, at this discovery that he makes to the point where he literally goes and sells everything he has to gain that field, that treasure. Um, And then in another story similar to it, Jesus shares the story of a pearl merchant that came across this pearl of such high value and cost that he went ahead and sold all he had to make that pearl his own. And so with these little stories, we're seeing that there's times in life where we can discover things that are of such value that we literally want to go and sell everything to make it our own. And really in the kingdom of in the kingdom of God, um we have these little hidden treasures um, that are worth giving up everything. And so contentment is one of those treasures. And it does require a lot on our part as Jesus followers, but it's worth so much in what we gain from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The parables are so key towards this idea of gaining contentment because they force us to count the cost. Of course, in the parables, Jesus was referring to ultimately the kingdom of God, but Mm -hmm. Lexi said it so well, babe, the the kingdom treasures and part and parcel of those treasures are joy and love, hope, peace, um, and contentment. And contentment's going to cost. We have to pay for it in some measure. Contentment is our English translation of a Greek word, adeterakos. I think I just butchered that, but that's all right. (laughs) And this word, um, it's a pretty thick word. It's a pretty heavily freighted word. What's interesting about it is it carries both an active and a passive tone. So there's an active component to Mm. contentment that we're pursuing. We're actively going after it. We're actively trusting God. There is our volitional decisions involved in it, but there's also a passive aspect to contentment in that we are resting and we are receiving contentment in our present circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so there is the, I'm going to decide to pay the cost. And there is also the uh, letting go of what we've actually been going for. Mm 
active and passive. So it's no, it's no question. Like secular philosophers, spiritual mystics of all stripes and traditions, um, they have all, any human that has thought very deeply about the human experience and written on it has discovered um, that for true contentment to come about, there's going to have to be the cost paid and the receiving of it in ways that we didn't originally imagine. And so some of the things that we've been toying around with in uh, our conversations over the years, as we've asked ourselves, what is it that, why, why am I so anxious? Why am I so um, uncomfortable? What are the things that we have to give up? What are the things that we're holding on to that are robbing us of contentment? And I would say for myself, at the top of that list is this need to build uh, my self-image. <laughs> um, since the fall, since Adam and Eve uh, were separated from God and began covering themselves in fig leaves, this incessant need to present to the world who I think I want the world to perceive me as, and then failing in it so continually produces a life of angst. Mm -hmm. It produces a, a life of disconnectedness from self. I'd say really not just you, but that is the one of probably the most like human struggle that we all battle against is that that desire to create our create our image versus receiving that we've been made in the image of God and his expression through us and how he's created us to be. And really that gets exhausting because if you're constantly on the hamster wheel of trying to create your own self-image, um, you just at some point realize like, I can't, I can't keep up. I can't do this. Yeah. And on, on the one hand, I think I would narrow your definition of all humans that self-image creation is um, what causes discontent. I think I would agree with you and narrow that definition or that population down to people in Western affluent culture, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because we have the convenience of, of self-image yeah, development. That's so true. And it's a weird thing. Uh, we're so discontent with our images. Uh, and yet Jesus seemed to always, and honestly, philosophers and all sorts of spiritual traditions have noted that the impoverished and the burdened and the oppressed they don't have the convenience of like self-image building. They're just trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And yet it's those populations of people that seem to uh, have a greater sense of resolute happiness and joy. And so I think that's really something for us to consider. This self-image building, this um, constant striving, and this disconnection from who we truly are. You know, when I think about self-image building, the the false fig leaves is the metaphor that Genesis chapter three uses. I realize as a point of conviction that I'm actually diminishing and even dishonoring who God has made me to be. I am discontent with the creator's wisdom and beauty that he has built into me. And there's something under the surface there that um, I think requires a level of humility and repentance and acceptance, that passive part of contentment. This is who God has made me. He's made me to look this way. Um, beyond body image, we're not, yeah, beyond body image, 
He's made me my facial features, my my image, my uh, my way of thinking, my gifts. My father has made me this way. And so I don't need to build that out. I don't need to add to that or emphasize that, or I want to learn to be content in that. Along with this idea of self-image is um, we have to come to a place where we stop trying to justify ourselves uh, before God and and even our own inner critic. So much of our discontent is is rooted in this justifying our existence before God, before each other, and before ourselves. Mm. And just learning to to revel in the fact that we're breathing air, um, that we're not mistakes, that God has given us these um, this miracle called life. Really, when we when we think through that deeply, it does create a whole level of of contentment. Mm-hmm. Really, it's this whole you know thing that we're all learning to do. It's loosening our grip on and control of things. And it's discovering, it's through surrender, discovering what actually gives our life meaning. And you know, if this actually sounds kind of abstract or intangible, um, you know, especially in contrast to, you know, that three steps to your best life kind of mentality, Mm -hmm. um, it is abstract. It it actually is. And it is, um, you know, difficult to wrap our minds around at times, which leads us to say that contentment um, has to be learned. Um, we'd even propose that the whole of our life um, in Jesus is this master's level class of learning um, to let go through surrender, like I said. And so there is a counting the cost and a willingness to pay out whatever it takes to be content um, as the Lord's child um, in his kingdom and with him as our king. You know, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, 10 through 13 um, talks about learning contentment. Mm-hmm. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yeah, we prayed for you, dear listener, uh, right before the beginning of the recording of this podcast. And I want to invite you right now to reflect with the Holy Spirit. Paul would say, I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. He reemphasizes that by saying he's learned the secret of being content in in any and every situation. And so just take a moment here. You can even pause the podcast and invite the Holy Spirit to help you observe the contours of your situation that are currently producing discontent. Really just take a little bit of time. And reflect on that question. What is it that my father is requiring of me to give up? What am I needing to let go? What must I learn in the classroom of contentment? And the Holy Spirit wants to bring those details to your heart and mind right now. I have very specific bullet points of, oh, 
this is causing discontent in my life. And as we move on through our conversation here, you can be reflecting on the points where, well, these bullet points, God actually wants me to let go. And as we wrap things up towards the end of the conversation, we'll talk about, well, maybe you're not supposed to let those go. Maybe those are things that are drawing you close. And so this classroom, this learning process of contentment, and Paul says some huge things here. I mean, he says, I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances, meaning he goes on and elaborates, when I'm in need, I'm actually content in that. (laughs) And when I have plenty, I'm content in that. Well-fed, hungry, in plenty or in want. Mm -hmm. And it's this intimate relationship with Jesus that Paul says is the secret. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We can kind of project this um, idea of what we think contentment is. For sure. In other words, like it's easy to go, oh, contentment is having everything we want. Our life is at ease. You know, we're, our dreams are fulfilled. Yeah, our we're expectations so good have been with met. our circumstances. Mm-hmm. And again, we're speaking from our own, you know, life and probably more from a Western point of view. Obviously, there's so many other humans out there who aren't. This isn't their life's aim because they've not been raised with this. Just in this kind of pool. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um, contentment is not a life of ease that we've managed to put together. Now, I would say. Contentment does have an easeness to it um, in the sense when you're content, there is an ease there where mm. you're not warring in your soul over things, whether you're whether that's your lack or that's in your plenty. Um, but again, it, it is something we have to learn. And so I want you to notice that in that in that passage in Philippians 4, um, Paul, like Dan said, learned contentment in both lack and plenty. And so we have to learn to be content primarily um, as American Christians because we have too much. Yeah, this has been <laughs> this has been a huge conversation for you and I. Mm-hmm. You know, in the early days of our marriage, um, the only way to describe us was living below the poverty level, <laughs> and we were content. You know, do you mm-hmm. remember? We had that little baby, our little baby Sophia, in our little apartment, mm-hmm. and. Sometimes people had to provide groceries for us. It was, and I reflect on those memories. I know I was full of angst. And yet when I reflect on those memories, I was just so happy, mm-hmm. so happy to be serving, so happy to have you, so happy to have that little baby. We had no money. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we are all these years later. And now we, we do have a little bit. Mm-hmm. Actually, we're fine. We're comfortable. And yeah. that contentment still evades us. That's such a curious thing. Mm-hmm. Evades me anyway. Yeah. And I would say for my my own self personally, that it almost seems like the more we have been given, um, I've struggled with contentment. And I don't know if that's partially, you know, when we first got married, mm-hmm. we didn't even have cell phones. We actually we're so late on the game and even Guys, getting the internet. Old. We are old. We are so, like, I'm old. <laughs> well, and it's not that we're old, but it's just like, we weren't like being super fast paced and like, oh, let's get the internet. Oh, let's get smartphones. Like we were really slow on that. Yeah, and so, I remember when texting came out, I was literally like, Lex, nobody's going to use this. This is the <laughs> dumbest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. But you know, just, I don't know if it was partially... I didn't have access to all this stuff that was out there, this world that was out there that now I do. But I have found for myself that with the more that I've been given, um, 
finding contentment in the plenty um, has been difficult. Do you think that the more we've been given, the discontent has been caused by comparison because you're always looking to what's next to who has more? Mm -hmm. I mean, I can only speak for my own self personally. And, um, you know, it, it is crazy how much there's always the new house trend, you know, and we're speaking about tangible goods, you know, contentment, tangible goods. There's obviously contentment in, you know, relationships, contentment in, you know, lots of areas that aren't just related to what we actually tangibly have, our possessions. Um, but I would say for my own life personally, certainly every house trend that comes, every, you know, little, you know, Instagram ad that tells me, oh, I should wear this thing or have this thing. That is so hard to keep up with. And even I'd go so far as, you know, in our culture, you know, health products, which I'm definitely love reading about that kind of stuff. And it's crazy how much you start to go, I can't keep up with this. And it's really going to drive me crazy trying to yeah. uh, figure this all out rather than just saying, I'm going to be content with what I have and and be wise, mm-hmm. but also just not constantly be on the hamster wheel of there's something more, there's something more, there's something more. Yeah, I think this is the counterintuitive nature of affluent Christian culture like ours. Uh, we, are, we are discontent because we're so glutted with too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our one of our values at Neighbors is simplicity. And I am finding it to be one of the most difficult values to hold to. It's really easy in our culture right now because there's it's kind of in the air. Minimalism is kind of a hip thing right now. Um, but to actually simplify the life and um, let go of all the accoutrements and all of the, the things that we build our identities in and to quit the comparison game is actually really difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are voracious and insatiable in our need for more of everything. Mm-hmm. St. Augustine um, said that you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Yeah, I love that, that restlessness of heart. Again, it's that, that hamster on the hamster wheel um, versus finding our rest in Jesus and recognizing that he's made us for himself and yeah. so we can find that rest in him. Yeah, I think this is something that has been coming to me over the last year or so. Um, and it's come to me in the most simple kind of Christianity 101 ways. And it's this concept of the scarcity versus abundance mentality. I'm sure if you read in culture, organizational, or economic philosophy, this this has touch points everywhere. Scarcity versus abundance mentality. Mm -hmm. And for the Christian, when we actually believe what the texts say, abundance doesn't even do justice to the generosity and the provision and the well-being that our Father affords us. I mean, think with me, friend. Your King says you are going to live forever in a perfect union with Him, in a renewed earth upon which heaven has come and nothing will ever take that from you. That is the definition of overflowing abundance. And the reason I say this has been coming to me is I've had these moments in my meditations and studies, particularly through the gospel of John, where I've been struck with 
the ludicrous nature of the abundance of God and the kingdom of God just struck. Like, I am going to live forever and actually believing it. And it almost um, just works like a nuclear bomb, blowing up all the clutter that I've been basing my life in. And so, you know, contentment, Lex and I are here kind of orbiting around materialism and comparison and trying to keep up with the Instagram life and the Pinterest weddings and, I mean, all this stuff that, that we do. But it's not only that. Contentment also, we have to let go of our of deeper things, more abstract things like our identity. It, it costs us our expectations and our dreams. And this mm-hmm. is something that goes deeper into the soul. The things that drive us, the desires that we have beyond our material wealth and possessions, um, contentment comes by living out Jesus's dreams for us. I had this Oswald Chambers quote that continually comes to my mind in these conversations. Chambers wrote this. He said, joy, and we could just replace that word with contentment, and so I will. Contentment means the perfect fulfillment of that for which I was created and regenerated, not the successful doing of a thing. The contentment of our Lord had lay in doing what the Father sent him to do. We all have to find our niche in life, and spiritually we find it when we receive our ministry from the Lord. I think what Chambers was putting his finger on is that we have to to find deep soul contentment, learn to rest in doing our Father's will and not the blueprint that we hand to our Father of our lives. And that is a lifelong process. And I have the convenience and the great luxury, I think, of being in my mid-40s now. When you're 20, the idea that some of these dreams and expectations won't come to pass, just it just doesn't even register. It's just not even part of how you live your life. But as time goes on, you, you, you're forced in some ways to let mm-hmm. those things go. Well, you, you realize reality is every dream you have doesn't come to fruition, and you have to find contentment in that. And again, that's going to go further into our conversation a little later around, um, you know, what, what desire, that difference of having desires, holy ambition, um, and contentment, you know, coupled with that, Yeah, you know, the apostle Paul, he obviously, I mean, gosh, lived his life in such a way where when he talks about contentment, you do just see he was, he actually lived out, you know, what he was calling um, disciples and Jesus followers to. It's he believed it. Yeah, he had seen the risen Jesus. Mm-hmm. The man had seen the risen Jesus, and it so, it so transformed him that he let go of all the other accoutrements of identity, his religious uh, scholarship, his elite status in both Roman and Jewish society. He mm-hmm. he let all of that go and the man the man suffered beyond measure mm-hmm. in prison and in plenty and yet he displayed this life of contentment. Yeah, he knew that God's grace was sufficient for him. Mm. You know, in 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about that. He says but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, again, I am content 
with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Oh my goodness. We are, we are getting into the guts of it here, friends. This passage is actually in context. Paul, Paul had described to the Corinthians something that he called a thorn in the flesh, a literal messenger from Satan that had been sent, the old King James says, to buffet him. So we don't quite know what Paul's ailment was. Some think it was an eye disease that he was dealing with, some sort of physical ailment. Um, But to just draw the bridge to our modern moment, it might be that Paul was enduring some sort of depression, some sort of general sense of malaise. Maybe Paul was talking about an anxiety that he just could not control. This messenger from Satan would buffet him with anxiety. And here's where we get into the guts of things with the both the difficulty and the delight of learning contentment. Paul asked God to take these pains from him, mm-hmm. these points of anxiety or this eye ailment or, or, I mean, the man, his laundry list of sufferings was really without measure. And Jesus says, no, these things that would normally cause deep discontent, I'm going to judo move it. I'm going to judo it and turn it around and let it be an emblem of grace in your life that keeps you so very close to me. This this is the judo move of all of Christian orthodoxy and Christian orthopraxy. God takes that which is the worst and he turns it. He, He actually uses it to draw us close. I think of Jacob's limp after having wrestled with the angel of the Lord all through the night and he would spend the rest of his life limping in that dependence on God. It may be that right now your deepest discontent is not of God. It's not from him in the sense that maybe it is something satanic. Maybe it is something in the flesh, but you have not been freed from it. And Jesus is wanting you to hear him say, my grace is enough for you. Mm-hmm. because my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul could say, and I'll, I'll paraphrase here for our modern listener, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For us, I'm content in the midst of this global plague. I, I don't like it. I don't want it. I want it to go away. I'm content in relational um, unrest. I'm content with the weaknesses of my body. I'm, I'm actually content with this anxiety and content even with this depression because if the father is not removing it immediately then his grace is sufficient and there is some dependence some intimacy that he wants to birth in this very very complex friends this idea of contentment in the midst of these ailments and one of our goals as leaders and communicators in the church is not to create such a reductionistic black and white christianity um, this is gray area. This is hard. I think that's where um, it can be difficult is we think that contentment is the absence of hard things, but yeah. actually mm-hmm. contentment is not the absence of hard things. Oh, so um, well said, babe, man. And, you know, contentment is actually coming to a place where we understand and we filter all of those hard things through Jesus and with Jesus yeah. in relationship with him. 
Um, I know even reading that that Corinthians passage, it does put a little bit of fear in me there. And it probably does a lot of us, you know, it's like, oh, again, you know, we view contentment as a life of ease. Um, and it's hard to wrap our minds around um, contentment may be in hardship and it, it may be through weakness and insult and suffering. Um, and that's really difficult because none of us want to go through hard things. We all want to have the life of ease. Um, but I would, I would say, uh, just to, to balance that, that contentment isn't all cost though. I think we have to remember that there is something to be gained. Like, you know, the man who found the pearl of mm-hmm. great price. There is something to be gained in a life of contentment, and there's something to be gained when we find um, and obey God fully. And so contentment does not mean the ceasing of action and doing and just, you know, sitting and pondering our navels in stillness, um, <laughs> but there's actually a pressing in and a willingness to, we make this discovery we find this thing that we want to gain, and so we actively go after it, and we actively seek Jesus in it, and we obey Him, and mm. and we purchase the field, so to speak. Yeah. Some some time ago, we did a conversation on the cruciform life, and in this in this life, the life that is formed by the cross, a, a life that is formed by uh, willingly losing oneself uh, to find one's true self. I think that is the pearl of great price in this facet of contentment, the gain that we are given. Um, I think sometimes Christian conversations, and at least in my own mind, when we read these passages, uh, we can get so macabre and so dark, like, oh, it's all loss. You're going to die. You're never going to get out of this depression. Anxiety is going to plague you for the rest of your life. There's like no fun. There's no joy. Sorrowful well, the entire time. I, whenever I envision Jesus, and even whenever I envision Paul, I mean, they are two very, very different personalities in my mind and two very different demeanors and dispositions. But in any of my imaginative practices through the scriptures, both of those men, they have a skip in their step, even in the midst of their greatest suffering. Um, they have a glint, so to speak, in their eye, in the midst of great sadness. There is this intensity of joy, and that joy is doing the will of the Father. Friend, if you can boil your life down to, I am doing what my Father wants right now in the circumstances with what has been provided and not provided, there is such a deep, contented joy that comes from that, where the resistance to or the fear of losing these things or never gaining the things that we think we need, a life without uh, problems, which will never happen in this life, uh, just is incredibly powerful. And so we gain joy. I think it'd be good to kind of turn a corner here and explore, um, you know, a key question that I think, uh, you know, will arise. And that is, how are we to wrestle with contentment and desire? Because like I was talking about just a little while ago, like there is holy ambition and there are good desires and contentment does not mean completely squashing and getting rid of all your desires and just being like, Oh, I'm, I'm like super chill and happy yeah. with, with my life. You know, we can have desire and we can have things that we are going after and that's not wrong. So what, 
How, how do we wrestle with that? This is such an important question. And I want to make a theological, uh, I want to plant a theological seed for you. Um, we are not Buddhists. <laughs> so right now in the culture, uh, there is, and I'm, I'm happy for it. I think it's going to bring a lot of health collectively and culturally. There's a lot of talk around mindfulness. There's a, mm-hmm. a lot of talk around meditation and detachment. Those words are floating about but they are floating about in the context of Eastern meditative practices. And for the Buddhist, uh, it was the diminishment of desire. Enlightenment comes by losing all of your desires, detaching from your desires. And um, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure any Buddhist listeners can email me and correct me on this, but the way I interpret that is you, you essentially lose all sense of self because desire is a big part of who we are. The Christian history of meditation and uh, our form of mindfulness is not the denial and detachment from desire. It's actually the enhancement and reorientation of desire. Mm-hmm. Um, Lewis, C.S. Lewis was the most pointed author in this field talking about how our desires actually aren't strong enough. And so this question what do we do with the desires? Because we have fallen desires, we have holy desires. All of these desires unmet bring discontent, but which desires should we be discontent with? Knowing that God wants to amplify and intensify the holy desires. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think, you know, it's very safe to say that we do need to be discontent about holiness in our lives. We need to be discontent um, well, let me ask you real quick, mm-hmm. babe. And I think this is a curious question for me. Just, I love the way you think. When you think about discontent with holiness, what does that mean to you? Mm-hmm. And I think in my own life personally, um, you know, a discontentment with holiness is that that ever um, increasing desire to to be like Jesus and mm-hmm. to do what He did. And so, you know, that might be in the day-to-day interactions that I have in my home with my family members, you know, if I'm, you know, given to toward impatience, like uh, an increasing desire for holiness where um, my responses with my family members are patient mm-hmm. and thoughtful yeah, versus impatient. Yeah. Um, so, but this, this desire to be like Jesus yeah. and do what he did. Yeah. As you're saying that, I just have these words coming to mind, like that one besetting sin that you've dealt with, since you were born again, since you converted your life to Jesus, or maybe since you were even a kid, you should still be discontent with that one sin. Mm-hmm. You should never get comfortable with that one point of disobedience. Right. Mm-hmm. You should never be content with, well, you know, I've prayed about this for 20 years. It's and just it's, never going to leave. It's never so going to change. It's just my thing. No, that's mm-hmm. a lie. Mm-hmm. There is a holy discontent that we should have with anything that um, taints or pollutes Mm -hmm. the holiness that God intends for us. Yeah. And that discontentment, you know, with holiness is so coupled with our obedience, a discontent with, or maybe I should say our lack of obedience. Mm -hmm. So there should always be this increasing desire or a discontentment with um, our lack of obedience and a pushing towards obedience that honors the Lord. Yeah. And obedience that's faithful. Um, Yeah. The, there should be a deep, deep discontent if if you've found your 
yourself in a place, as I have many, many times over, where you're, you're kind of flirting around with the I give up mm-hmm. thing. I just give up. I just tap out. That There should be a discontented response to that. Like, no, no, no. Jesus never gave up. He, he continued faithfully and obediently. Paul never gave up mm-hmm. in his weaknesses, in his hardships, in his betrayals, in all of the opposition that our brother faced. He was only content by being utterly faithful to his father. So that brings us to this, this place of discuss a word that you and I have talked about over the years, ambition. Mm-hmm. Ambition. Shua said to me some time ago, you know, ambition is something that needs to be stewarded like money. Mm-hmm. It can be used or it can destroy us. Yeah, it's it's really um ambition is made holy by um mm. you know this complete surrender to God while still also driving forward in our responsibilities and our our mission that he specifically calls each of us to. And so um yeah, it is so much like money. There's a stewardship of it and everyone's ambition is going to be different and what they're pursuing and in many ways, it's just like everyone has different um, financial budgets and resources, and that has to be stewarded. Um, and really, you know, contentment um, and ambition, all of it uh, is rooted in God's love and intimacy. And so recognizing I'm already loved by God, and so therefore I'm not, I'm not motivated by this, this drive that I have to earn it because I'm already loved. Um, and it's also recognizing that we can't let contentment be an excuse not to pray about our desires, our ambitions, or yeah. our ambitions. And so um, we have to let our contentment and our desire uh, be pure and be made pure yeah. through relationship with Jesus. Here's where I've settled. Let's wrap this up. Here's a concrete thing that maybe, maybe will help you, maybe won't help you. I have found it greatly helpful. Um, in my own personal prayer life around praying my desires, I've been on a very long journey with particular desires. And I've seen this in other Christians too. And so I'll just give you an example of a, a friend of mine that I was speaking with the other day. Um, he is in a situation where he's working a job right now that is good uh, and it's, it's paying well. He, he's enjoying it. He, he likes the work. But ultimately, it is not where he wants to be. He's discontent in that situation. And um, in reflecting with him on his praying about that particular situation, his, his prayers have primarily been this. Thank you, Father, that I have this good thing, uh, that I'm enjoying it, that it's paying well. Um, kind of trying to ignore that deeper desire. In other words, he hasn't prayed out, but there's this really deep desire that is going unmet. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've taken some of the desires that may be truly from God mm-hmm. and you've just like tamped them down. <laughs> you've kind of suppressed them with the, the way that we do this with our father. We just kind of like, okay, this is okay. It's all right. I can be content in this. On the one hand, you have to do that. On the other hand, some of those desires, you know, they're not going away and it's creating this tension in you. I have those desires as well. 
things that I've prayed for 20 years that I don't think I've seen 0.0001% of an answer to. So here's where I've come to, because I've gone through the whole cycle of, of praying earnestly for months on end and then giving up and then going through a cycle of, I don't even think you answer prayer and then going through a cycle of, well, this is okay. You do answer prayer, but you're just all the cycles. Here's where I'm at now. I think there's four things that we can do um, as we pray out and make our ambition holy and our desires holy. And the first is to um, actually allow the Holy Spirit to teach you to pray in Jesus' name. Are you praying what Jesus would pray? That's what it means. Mm-hmm. I hope every when we say "Father, bless our food in Jesus' name," we're basically telling the Father, "Here's what Jesus would pray over our our dinner." <laughs> Does that put that in perspective for you? Like how powerful that is. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to holy ambition, desire, discontent, and and contentedness, God is bringing us continually into a place where we are praying what Jesus would pray in his perfect contentment with the Father's will. Mm -hmm. So the particular couch or the type of car, yeah, I think if Jesus lived in 2021, he would be praying about those things. But I think we don't pray about those things the way that Jesus would pray about those things. And that's what the Holy Spirit is teaching us to do. Mm-hmm. He, is, he is teaching us to um, actually pray our desires in the way that Jesus would pray his desires. Mm-hmm. In Jesus' name, I pray these desires, Father. Mm-hmm. Along with that, uh, we would say that until the desire is exhausted— and just completely gone. And mind you, this isn't like resignation or discouragement where you're just like, oh, I've been praying and my prayers haven't been answered. But really, until that desire um, has completely been exhausted and it's gone, um, you need to discern where the discontent is experienced in your body and observe it with the Holy Spirit and explore you know, what it is you're truly desiring. And so there is a process in prayer, you know, when you keep coming back to the Lord with certain prayers or desires where, and it's not going away, that's an opportunity for, again, you to press into your relationship with Jesus, to listen to him in the quiet Mm -hmm. and ask him, help me discern what this desire is. Help me discern if this desire is from you. And I would say, if there's silence then you've got to keep praying about it. Yep. And and maybe you might have points where you resign and you say, all right, I'm done with this. I'm not going to pray it. And then it somehow ends up making its way back. Yep. I would say, then you're supposed to keep praying. 100%. And in the classroom of contentment, the cost is that we continue putting in the time of praying the desires until we see Jesus face to face. I have, oh man, I have wrestled and come to a place where I am content almost praying prayers that I may never see the answers to in this life. And at one point I let that become almost a point of resignation. Well, I'm not going to pray then if I won't see the answers in this life. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't think that that's how Jesus would pray. I don't think that's praying in Jesus name. Mm -hmm. You know, a third way to pray earnestly every desire um, until, you know, it's made clear whatever the answer is in that is just to circumstantially pay attention and to see that, you know, the answer may be so clear um, that there's no possible way, um, you know, 
it's going to happen. So there may be a circumstance where say you've been praying about something and you realize there's no possible way this is going to be answered. There is that closed door, you know, so to speak. And, you know, we've experienced this in our life where, you know, we were praying for a specific house and that cir- North Park house. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's just circumstantially the door was absolutely closed. There was no way anything was going to change that. And that's where you know, okay, we gotta let this go. Let it go and continue to pray without ceasing. Yeah. And I think that contentment, the the kind of Christian colloquialism is where God closes one door, he opens another. <laughs> and that's True. <laughs> um, but contentment comes in also embracing his no as a gift, his no. Um, but don't, don't short circuit the prayer process until it's very, very clear. Like Lex with this North Park house, somebody else rented it. They said, no, we couldn't get into it. And God did open up a door in South Park and we're super happy uh, with where we live. And that brings us to our fourth one. So to pray your desires out and find contentment, learn to pray in Jesus name. Pray, 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 pray until the desire is absolutely exhausted and gone, not in a resignate, not in resignation, but you've been emptied of the desire. God has transformed your desires and you're free from it. Pray until circumstantially it's clear that the prayer has been answered with a no. This is not going to do good for your soul or for the kingdom, whatever that means. And then finally, pray until you see it's fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the answer may look nothing like what you envisioned. And so you have to stay focused. You have to be looking carefully. There's this great story of the prophet Elijah and he's praying down rain. And the text tells us that he, he the text actually says it's kind of gross. He gets into birthing position, not in uh, American birthing position, but in Hebrew, like squatted down birthing position. And he prays. And then his servant goes and he tells his servant, go and look. And there's nothing. It's just dry skies, no clouds in the sky. And then he, Servant comes back, tells him that. He gets down and he prays again. Servant goes and looks, nothing. Gets down seven times, we're told, which in the Hebrew mind was completely, totally. He didn't stop praying. He perfectly prayed, telos, to the end, to the completion. And on the seventh one, the servant comes back and says, I see a tiny little budding of cloud, like a fist on the horizon. And Elijah says, run, it's gonna start flooding. He, he prayed until he saw the fulfillment of his desire. and. Our Father compels us to that. We are to be discontent until we see fulfillment of the desire, um, unless he has said completely no, or the desire exhausts itself and he has transformed it. The point is, at the end of the day, contentment is about deep, tethered, relational union with our God. Whether in weakness or in hardship, depression or anxiety, peace or calm, circumstances that are plenty or circumstances that have lack, He wants us praying in intimate union with him. And that is the end goal of our salvation, to be one with our God. And prayer is that process and faith is what brings that about. Lots to chew on, you guys. Lots to think about. We trust that there have been seeds planted through this conversation that are going to really birth in you a new perspective on living this life in daily contentment and daily peace. We love you. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom.